Well, this morning we're thinking about mobilising members for ministry. Um, I've been, as I said, having the great privilege of working with St Aidan's over the last few months, thinking about where might God take you in the coming years? What sort of church would God have you be? How might you be a presence here in Wagga for making Christ known? Uh, it's been great. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, you're a healthy church. And so working with a healthy church is a great delight. Uh, God is already doing great things among you. And so it's really from a position of strength, how do you move forward? Uh, one of the questions I ask myself when I work with a church is, is this a safe place for God to send people? Is this a place where if someone comes, they'll actually hear about Jesus and they'll actually be nurtured from God's word and they'll be cared for and accepted as part of God's family? And I think the answer is pretty clearly yes. St Aidan's is a safe place and that's great. Um, You can expect God to be using you as a place where he can send people. In preparing my report for the elders and the church leaders, um, I was told the strengths of St Aidan's, and I, I think you'll recognise this as true of you, uh, you hold to the gospel. Uh, you're grace-focused, you're Christ-centred. As a church, you're keen to learn more about the gospel. So the heart is pumping. You're a community of grace, seeking to rest in God's grace as a group of Christian people, as a genuine community. There's an integrity there, which is great. You've got a great ministry to kids. I actually just took a photo of the the kids' talk and put it on our staff WhatsApp group saying, this is a great foundation for revitalisation. It's fabulous. I visited churches where the average age, well, I was at a church a couple of weeks ago, the youngest person in the room was 68, the youngest person. How do you turn that around? You're in a great position to move forward. John is actually a great blessing. I hope you realise how fortunate you are to have someone like John Bly as your your minister. He's a good and faithful servant of Christ. I think he's overworked, and I know the elders are looking at recruiting, but it's not just the staff, it's actually the whole church that does ministry, and that's one of the reasons we're thinking about mobilising members for ministry. You've got a great age mix. It's not just the kids, but it's all the way through and you see yourself as one church family. And that's really positive, really encouraging. There's warm Christian fellowship. I've been here twice uh, and each time it's been just lovely to see, not just be welcomed as an outsider, but actually to see the way you interact with each other. Uh, There's a depth of gifting across the church, and there is an outward-looking vision towards outsiders. They're all strengths, which fill me with confidence. Um, And as I've looked at the church, I thought, yes, you've got it right. And that's actually a huge relief because if you're working with a church where they're actually deluded about their own strengths, then um, there's a lot of work to be done. But let me say I was suspicious about the vision towards outsiders and the depth of giftedness because I don't actually see that expressed in action. I think it's there, but in terms of engagement with the community, I haven't seen a lot of evidence of that. 
and in terms of actually taking the gifts you've got and putting them into action in the life of the church as an outsider, I wasn't seeing that. So part of my recommendation was you need to work on those areas and that's what we're doing today. It was great working with your leadership team, thinking about the vision of what sort of church do you think God would have you be five, ten years' time and what are the steps to get there? And the group came up with a prayer, uh, which was to be a growing, welcoming church family, delighting in God and resting in his grace, each being transformed by the gospel to become more like Jesus, loving each other in our community, equipped to share the gospel and use our gifts in Wagga and beyond to God's glory. That's an easy prayer to say amen to, right? That's very easy. I actually hope there's lots of churches that have a similar prayer for their ministry and for their future. And so the question is, how do we make that prayer a reality? Well, firstly, by continuing to do what you're already doing well. I don't lose sight of the basic ministry of the gospel. Right? Keep proclaiming Christ. Keep building each other up in that. But moving forward also means mobilising members for ministry. Peter Adam, who was the principal of Moore College, not Moore College, the other one, uh, Ridley College, uh, Peter's in Melbourne. Um, he was the principal of Ridley, before that St Jude's Carlton, the university church at Melbourne University. I had coffee with Peter and we are talking about church vision and he said you should always pay attention to the people God has given a church because the gifts given are a great indicator of God of what God would have you do. And I think there's great wisdom in that. The gifts given are a great indication of what God would have you do. So what gifts has God put amongst you? And how has he equipped you to actually be at work that you may declare the praises of him who called you? Basically, who has God given you? And that's that's where we're looking today. Um, the gift survey is to start the conversation, not finish it. Right? And I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it today. It's really get you thinking and start you talking and comparing notes and in your small groups and in your conversations and look at affirming. Yes, that's true. Or, oh, I'm surprised that's what you got. It's to start the conversation, but it's an important conversation. Now, as we have this conversation, uh, an important thing to realise is every church should be the same and every church should be different. What do I mean by that? Well, as we gather and as people gather around the world today and even as people gathered here yesterday, there's something that makes us the church. And so we can say we are the people of God, we are the body of Christ, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Every gathering of Christian people across the globe across the ages those things are true and and they shouldn't change every church should be the same and yet every church is rightly different this is Wagga not Warsaw not Wuhan and you are Presbyterian not Pentecostal right you're not Brethren or Baptist you're not Anglican or Methodist you are St Aidan's 
Presbyterian, which means you're not St. Andrews and you're on Coleman Street, not Cross Street. But the fact that God has put you here as St. Aidan's Presbyterian in South Wagga means you're different from even St. Paul's Turvey Park just over the hill. Now, when we say we are the body of Christ, we are the people of God, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, I think if that's not true, you're not actually a church. You're just some moral club or some folk religion with Christian characters. But we're necessarily the same and yet rightly different. Now, I only know two academics at Charles Sturt University. One of them's this guy here, Lachlan Brown, a prize-winning poet. The other is Bill Anscombe, who's a social worker. Now, Dr Lachlan's here, and because he's here rather than over at St Paul's, and Bill is over there rather than here, that means this church is different. And, in fact, you look around the room, it's pretty obvious that you are here and there's different people over at St Paul's and there's different people over at St Andrews, and the church is actually the people who have gathered. And what does that mean? Well, your story, how has God worked in your life? How has he shaped you? What is he currently doing and where is he taking you? Your networks of who are the people that you're connected to in terms of the the people who come through your house, the neighbours, the people at work, the interactions you have, I'm a soccer fan. I was at the Matildas last night watching them uh, absolutely trump, um, uh, slam um, Sweden. But the fact I'm interested in soccer means I'm not interested in AFL. It means I bring a different conversation to most of Melbourne. Um, but um, our differences means that we as a church are different. And so the question is, well, how does that get expressed in the life of St. Aidan's. God has put you, this group, together as his people. And so what does that look like? How do you as a group work for the purposes of the kingdom? As I said, you're each unique individuals with unique stories in a unique web of relationships based on your history, your family, your neighbours, your work, your interests, your habits. Even my wife, Karen, and I, we've been married 34 years. We've done a lot of things together. We're pretty similar now. Uh, often we find we, we dress similarly and uh, we, one of us has to go and change. Um, but um, you look at our Facebook and I've got five, 658 friends. She's got 627. Less than half of them are in common, right? which means there's even us have different communities that we connect with. She follows evangelism and woodworking on her Facebook, and I follow football and church politics and revitalization. We are different, and that shapes the church. Each unique, what is God doing with who we are? How's He shaping us? And that for each of us is a different story based on our age, our gender our life situation, our work context, our personality, our hurts, our triumphs, our faults, our our strengths. We're each a work in progress as God makes each of us more like Jesus. And we each have different gifts, but we are different. 
God has gifted us differently. Now, the Bible uses a lovely range of images to describe the church, important ones, the bride of Christ. You'll be familiar with that. In Revelation 21.9, it says, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, the church, the bride of Christ. In Ephesians 5.31.32, picking up on marriage, it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Now, the image of the church as the bride of Christ, is, it's a beautiful metaphor because it speaks of love and commitment, of intimacy and joy, of passion and perseverance. I had this uh, lovely old couple at St. Stephen's who got married when they were 21. When they turned 91, they had their 70th wedding anniversary. I said to Bernard, what's it like? He said, it's like good red wine. It gets better and better. It's also like learning the violin. It's painful at times, but beautiful if you persevere. And I thought, yeah, it's, it's exactly what it is. It's, it's painful at times, but beautiful if it, you persevere. And the image of being the bride of Christ, it picks up that sense of intimacy and perseverance and depth of relationship. Another one is the image of the church as the family of God. Right? God says, I'll be a father. You'll be my sons and daughters. Can we go to the next slide? Um, it's a family image, right? We've been adopted as God's sons and daughters. And so in Ephesians 2.19, it says, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of his household. And the image of the family is a lovely image again. Right? It captures that intimacy of the marriage, but actually takes it to a group. Right? And so the Morris family, Karen and I and our two kids, Isaac and Annika, and there's something special about being the Morris family, that sense of mutual support and acceptance, the sense of being loved no matter what, of belonging, the sense of someone to guide and counsel, someone to correct and care. A family brings deep connection, deep understanding, a deep sense of belonging. And so it's a wonderful image. The other is the household of God. And so um, in Hebrews 3.6, it says Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And we are his house. Now notice that. We are his house. Not this is God's house. We are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and hope in which we glory. 1 Timothy 3.14, similar, although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the church. Now, as a kid, when I thought of the church as the house of God, I thought it was a bit like visiting grandma, and grandma was in the house, and when I was in the house, I had to be behave, be quiet, not be naughty. If I wanted to be loud and run around, I had to go outside. But now the Bible, when it talks about the church as God's house, isn't talking about that because it's not this is God's house, we are God's house. And so probably the better image when we think about God's house is being a homeowner. Now, for those who own a home, you know what it's like to have your place and you 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 love your house, you 
you renovate, you, you work on the gardens, you you maintain it, you you cherish your home. And God sees us in that sort of way as a special possession, a treasured possession from the passage we had from 1 Peter 2. It's about the building. No, it's not. It's about the people, not the building. And the church is God's temple. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And notice then it's not a, it's not the church is a temple like a building, but you are. You are living stones being built into a temple. So as we gather together, God dwells. And that actually means that gathering together is actually really important because it's as the stones come together that God's temple is built, as God dwells amongst us. It's great that there's people on Zoom, but it's different because it's not the gathering together. It's actually as we gather together that God dwells in our midst. In 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 17, there it says, don't you know that you yourselves, you yourselves are God's temple? I was in Atlanta, Georgia a few weeks ago, and I noticed that they've actually developed the English second person plural of you all. And so you all come back, you all have a bit more to eat. Um, Now, the Greek is actually you all. It's us together that is the temple of God. And then the other great image, and that's where we're going today, is the church is the body of Christ. It was in our kids' talk. It was in the Bible readings. Ephesians 5.23 talks about the church as his body. 1 Corinthians 12.27, you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. And we are to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Right, so the church is the body, and, and that, again, is another great metaphor. A body is the way in which you act. The body enables you to speak. As the church is the body of Christ, we actually speak his words. We demonstrate his love. We work on his projects. We proclaim his kingdom. We are the body of Christ. Now, in order to help us understand that, I brought along Mr. Potato Head um, as a sort of worked example. Um, And Mr. Potato Head, I think, is a good example. I assume you've all played with him at some stage, and it's great fun. You misplace where things are and change things up around. Now, this was my kids, and they are now at university. So over the years, we've lost pieces. So I've still got two arms. And we've got some eyes and we've got a little hat, which is great. We've got a tongue, but nowhere to put it really. Put it there, but it doesn't quite work. And we've got one ear, but the nose and the other ear have disappeared over the years. And, you know, I reckon lots of churches are a bit like that. They've got most of the pieces, but, you know, not quite right. Well... How does this help us understand the church and the future of St. Aidan's? Well, the first thing is one body with many parts. When we talk about St. Aidan's, the whole group of people 
there's lots of us, each of us different, and God's equipped us in different ways. And so there's one body, our Ephesians reading, verses 4 to 6. One body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all who is one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's unity and yet there's difference. And so in Ephesians 4, 9, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned us. So there's unity and diversity within the body, and that's okay. We don't all have to be the same, and the kids talked, explored that. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 14, it just says, just as one body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised, we all belong. Even so, at the end of verse 14, even so the body's not made up of one part, but of many. Now, the thing about Mr Potato Head, and even though I've lost some parts, the important part is actually this bit, right? Because it doesn't matter what you've got here. You can buy all sorts of extra bits. If you lose this part, the the rest is useless. And our connection to Christ, it's the bit that holds everything together. And our passage tells us that at the end of Ephesians, we see that the mature body is connected to the head. And it's that connection which is essential. It's that connection that enables everything else to fit. And so Ephesians 4.16, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So we can do lots of thinking and talking about gifts, but if you lose connection with the body of Christ, if you lose connection with Christ, then all the stuff about what you're good at is actually irrelevant. I hope that makes sense, and I I hope you get it, because it's really fundamental to actually being a healthy church. Because so often we just put our focus on the outward, what we do, And yet the pumping heart of connection with Christ is actually what brings health and vitality. Now, in with Mr Potato Head, all the bits need to go in the right place. And even though it's fun to deform him in all sorts of ways, that's not actually what we need for a healthy church. We need the bits to work together well. Well, how do they work together well? 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 is a passage. And the significance of verse of chapter 13 of Corinthians is it's all about love. It's often used for weddings. It's lovely, right? Love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't hold grudges, that sort of stuff. But in its context, it's about using your gifts in love to build up the body, to serve. And so that's reflected in the Ephesians reading. Verse 11, we read that that Christ equips the church with gifts to build up the body. The purpose of the gifts, to equip the people to serve. And the point of serving is seen in Ephesians 4.12. You serve so that the body of Christ is built up. And you do that in verse 13 until we reach the ultimate goal, which is maturity in Christ. And so the use 
of the the gifts, whatever they are, is actually to bring about maturity, to bring about a complete and appropriately shaped, not deformed, but a functioning body doing its bit. And, you know, if you find you're missing a bit, then that's where you start praying, say, God, send us a nose. Um, I've got lots of churches where they've got to pray, send us some families. And that's a good and proper prayer. Or it might be, God, send us an accountant because we need a treasurer. Or God, send us some more musicians because our worship sucks and it's really discouraging. Or God, send us, give us. And sometimes it's actually, oh, look, they were here all the time. We just never noticed. But the bits need to go together. Obviously, not everything can be a tongue. You don't need hundreds of tongues. You need a complete body with every part doing its part. So the body works best with many parts, and Scripture identifies lots of different gifts. And so in Romans 12, we're told that the gifts are exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy, prophecy, service, teaching. In Ephesians 4, the gifts that are listed there are apostle, evangelism, being a pastor, prophecy, teaching. Elsewhere, we're told that celibacy is a gift or hospitality or being a missionary, voluntary poverty, even martyrdom as a gift. 1 Corinthians 13, sorry, 12, whole range of gifts, including administration, apostle, discernment, faith, healing, help, knowledge, miracles, prophecy, teaching, wisdom, tongues, the interpretation of tongues. Now, there's actually academic debate over whether those lists should be considered as exhaustive and that's all that God gives, or whether they're indicative of these are the sort of good things God gives. Um, and there's a debate about whether you should expect every gift in every church. Uh, personally, I think that's an academic debate. What's clear is the purpose of the gift, which is to build up the body. So if a gift is needed, then expect God to give it. Look for God to give it. And if it's not needed, then don't expect it. <laughs> Right? Do I need a new bra set? Well, no, but probably need some weight loss classes. Right? The gift necessary for the health of the body is what God gives. We have a clear goal to run for, which is maturity in Christ. And using our gifts for that purpose is the challenge for the church. So 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 11, each one given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Right? There's the key, for the common good. So whatever your gift, you've done the survey or you might not have, but how do you use that for the common good? In verse 1, what well, we're told, 1 Corinthians 13, 1, sorry, is the way of love. Right? So seek to use your gifts in a way that will benefit others. As I said, that passage is often used for weddings, but it's about church life, right? The loving thing is that which will benefit others. In 1 Corinthians 14, it's part of the same passage, verse 3, 4, 5, 12, all encourage us to do that which will edify, that which will build up. And so in verse 12, we read, 
since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. So whatever your gift you've got, how might you use it to build up the church? And then in verses 13 to 17 of uh, 1 Corinthians 14, it actually warns against using gifts so that they don't edify and basically says it's pointless. So, you know, if you uh, are praying but people can't understand, then that doesn't build up the body. It doesn't edify. People can't say amen to it. If you're praising God personally but no one else can join in, might be good for you but it doesn't build up the body. Uh, verse 17 is pretty blunt. You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. So use your gifts for the benefit of the whole. Whatever it is, the focus is that God has given gifts to his body to build up the body. Now notice there that we talk about God giving gifts. And when you think about gifts, there's a couple of things you should note. The first thing is the gift is the choice of the gift giver. Leading up to Christmas, we might drop all sorts of hints about what we like. My family, all of them have just had birthdays. And so there's all these hints about what might be fun. Some of those I acted on, some of them I ignored because I'm the gift giver. It's my choice. Well, that's true of the gifts that God gives to his body. So even though you might want to be as talented as Lachlan Brown, if God hasn't made you that way, that's okay. But rejoice that he's made Lachlan that way. My wife's an evangelist. She can talk to people about Jesus in ways that I could never do. And rather than resenting that, I think, fabulous, rejoice. The music group, so talented, rejoice. I don't think, oh, I wish I could play. Or maybe if you can play, you sort of, well, maybe I should step up and serve. God has placed in the body the parts, every one of them, just as he wanted them. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 18. In verse 24, 1 Corinthians 12 reminds us God is the one that puts the body together. Ephesians 4, 7, Christ apportioned as he's chosen. Christ himself gave the gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. So firstly, it's, it's God's choice. So don't lose sleep over being gifted or not gifted. Just work with what you've got. Second thing is a gift reflects the love and care of the gift giver. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, 24, 25, it talks about God putting the body together, giving greater honour to those parts that lacked it so there'd be no division. Right? God's care and love reflected in that. And the thing about gifts is they're meant to be used. Mr. Potato Head, you play with him, you muck around with him, you turn him upside down, you lose his hat, whatever it is. You unwrap the present and you start using it. If it's a jumper, you start wearing it. If it's a toy, you start playing with it. If it's a bottle of whiskey, you enjoy it. If it's movie tickets, you go out. But the point of the gift is to put them to use. And, in fact, there's an underlying insult of not using it. If someone gives you something... And six months later, say, oh, you're enjoying the book I gave you. And you say, say, no, actually, no, I haven't, haven't read it. And that's actually saying something to the gift giver about, oh, I don't actually value what you gave me. And so if God's given you a gift, put it to use. And then finally, and I actually think that honours the gift giver, right? 
to be able to say, oh, this is the shirt that Karen gave me for Christmas. Do you like it? Right? Well, these are the shoes I got from my kids. Right? There's something about the use of the gifted honours. And so if God's gifted you, honour God by using it. God gives us a big playing field. It's just part of what God wants us to do. And often when we think about gifts, we think of it here at church, right, to build up the body of Christ. And that's good, but life is more than Sunday. And so when you think about the rest of our life, it's more than just the Sunday church gathering. It's the rest of the things we do. It's the where we live, the people who come through our home. It's where we work and the people we deal with. It's where we shop. It's the institutions we deal with, right? Be it the university if you're a student or school if you're a kid or as a parent dealing with this, the, with the school. There's, our life is much more than just St. Aidan's in the centre. And even beyond that, we've got our neighbours and we've got the coffee shop or the pizza place or the place we regularly go to. And then we've got our hobbies and interests and pastimes and we've got those special places. So Karen and I take our dog for a walk and we see other people walking their dogs and we're in a cloud of people, a crowd of people. And part of our ministry is that we might declare the praises of him who called us, not just on Sunday as we sing a few songs, but in all of life. Now, if you look at that picture and start to put names next to it, we have two young adult children, and I reckon there's probably 12 people who are regularly through our home, close friends of the kids, then there's our own friends, and so there's probably 20 who we engage with regularly. We've got our neighbours and it's Catalan and Christina next door to us and their kids, Marianne and James and there's Gary up the street and there's neighbours that we have serious conversations with and then I always talk to Les at Audi and we get into serious conversations along with with um, with Peter and there's a, another woman whose name I forget at the moment but I always forget it. Um, and then at work... There's the people around me, and suddenly that list keeps growing and growing. Most of us, it'll be 100 people. And so part of using your gifts isn't just here at St. Aidan's, but how do you declare the praises of him who called you to that crowd of people around you? That's our challenge. Now, as a church, there's strength in unity and in diversity. God hasn't made us all together. And the conclusion of that is, yeah, we are united as the people of God. That's great. We come together, we gather, we build each other up. But we also go out. And our strength isn't just our unity but also our diversity. It's the richness and depth that we bring as a Christian community here in Wagga. Now, as I wrote your report or the report to your elders, I actually had to say I wasn't convinced that Turvey Park would notice if St Aidan's disappeared. Now, I hate to say that, but I think it's true. Right? You're a wonderful Christian community. I would, I'd be very happy to be a member of St Aidan's. 
It'd be a great church to be part of. But I think it is a serious challenge to a Christian community if you were to say, you know, rather than building a new church, just just shut down, who would notice? Well, you'd want the whole of this area to notice and be sad and think we are less of a community because St Aidan's is no longer here. Well, Ephesians 14 gives us a clear goal. We work together until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, I think the awe in that isn't just those who've walked in through the doors today, but our goal is to see every member of this community because of what does Philippians tell us? Every knee, not some knees, every knee will bow. And every tongue, not some tongues, the Christian tongues, but every tongue confess. Right? So our role as a church isn't just on Sundays, but it's in the whole of life to proclaim the glory of him who called us. And we keep doing that because actually Ephesians 4.10 has got a little, just a little phrase, which is that God's intention is to fill the whole universe. Right? The whole universe. God wants Jesus to be the main act over everything. And so our question is, how will we part, be part of that? Well, we be part of that by mobilising ourselves for ministry. Now, just a quick check to finish up. I realise I've gone a bit over time, but I'm a visitor and you don't have to put up with me next week. Um, but a, a quick checklist. My hope is you'd say yes to each of these. Right, but just to get you thinking, I know how I can play my part with the gifts I have. I hope you can say yes to that. If you can't, then start a conversation with your friends, with your small group, with John, with the elders. If you don't know how you can play your part, start the conversation. I know how I can use my gifts for the benefit of the whole body. Slightly different, but how can I contribute in a way that will actually help and Aidan's move forward. Others have affirmed and encouraged my contribution. Now, if you think you're gifted as a singer but no one else likes listening to you, then take that feedback, right? Part of the way the body works is by actually mutual recognition and affirmation of gifts. And so if you think, actually, you are really good at serving or you're really good at explaining or you're really wise and give great advice then tell people encourage them to use their gifts to put their gifts to to work that's how we actually support each other look for opportunities to use my gifts so if you think i'm i'm gifted i'm i'm able to do this but i can't see a way to do it then look for a way or actually Talk to the elders, talk to John and find a way, create a way to serve. Part of looking for an opportunity is to know when to step forward and when to step back. Because it's actually not about you, but it's actually about the common good. What's going to benefit the whole lot? So just because you have a gift doesn't need to be used all the time. You know, Christmas time, kids get a new toy. You don't have to play with it constantly. There's time to use it, there's time to put it aside. 
if you're taking your gift seriously, then it means developing it to be more useful. Say if you're gifted as a musician, you do your practice, you rehearse. If you're a preacher, you do your preparation, you prepare. You might do some courses on public speaking. If you're gifted in caring, you might do a course on pastoral care, do some reading and some books about how to help people in particular areas, maybe divorce or grief or sort of disappointment of job loss or transition. Like there's ways in which we can develop our gifts to be more fruitful, more helpful. Um, the goal of using gifts for God's purpose, right? That clarity of what am I doing? What am I building? It's not my own reputation, not polishing my own ego, but actually serving God's kingdom. If you've gifted, then thank God for it. Honour God by using it. And as I said, the bits without the connection to the body are pointless. You've got to maintain and nurture your relationship with Christ because without that, then mobilising the members for ministry is just busyness and just religion. It's not actually the work of God's kingdom. Well, let me pray. Our Father, we thank you for the fact that you have made us your sons and daughters, adopted us into your family as the bride of Christ, as, as the family, your household. You cherish us as a homeowner. You dwell in us through your spirit. And as we gather, you, you are with us. We are your temple and we are your body. We, we act in this world for your purposes, to proclaim your kingdom, to demonstrate your love, to work on your projects. So, Father, help us see what our gifts are. Help us encourage each other to use our gifts. Give us clarity about your purposes, that through it all, Christ might be glorified, that your kingdom might come. Amen.